Good morning, everyone. I'm going to add my welcome to Eric's. Last time Eric and I were serving together, I think, was overseas in Myanmar and Nepal. I don't remember the year because COVID's fogged my brain, but it was sometime before that. So it's good to be back uh, serving with uh, Eric this morning. 2014? Oh, 18. I was going to say that. My memory's not that bad. Well, if you've got a Bible, let me invite you to turn to Jeremiah 29. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11 this morning. Uh, As Pastor David indicated last week, we are starting a new sermon series uh, today. Uh, And I think this series, and this is just me speaking, will help us uh, shape the mission, vision, values of our church in the years to come. At the very least, I believe this series will help us be more fully engaged in God's mission right here in this particular neighborhood. Now, I've entitled this series, Missio Nexus, where life and mission meet. And those two words, missio and nexus, are two Latin words, which you can guess the first means mission, and nexus means a connection. And so the idea is that we want to be connected to God's mission where it's happening in our life and in our church's life. And so over the next couple of months, we're going to look at the people and places where God would have us connect our lives with His mission. So we're going to look at connecting with His mission on the athletic field, as well as the neighborhood, the home, the classroom, the arts, the public square, and the marketplace. All the places where we spend our time and our energy And these are the places that God cares about and calls us to care about as well. This morning, I'd like to introduce this series by uh, introducing a new motto, which we've adopted. Eric has already given that to you. If you've had one of those teal shirts that many wore at the Easter egg hunt, you may have seen them on the bottom of those shirts. And that motto is in Rivermont for Rivermont. And what we mean by that is... We are in the Rivermont neighborhood, and we are for the Rivermont neighborhood. Now, the text that we'll read in a moment offers a compelling perspective of the neighborhood, especially on how God's people should view and engage the neighborhood. But to get there, let me refer back to the sermon series we just concluded on Elijah and Elisha. Both of their prophetic ministries had been directed toward the wicked kings of Israel. Sadly, we saw that their prophetic work did little to produce heart change in those kings or the people. And in a little less than a hundred years after Elisha's death, which David covered last week, the northern kingdom was gone. Dismantled by the Assyrians and its people scattered throughout the Assyrian empire. For the southern kingdom of Judah, there had been flickers of revival and reformation, but they had long burned out and Judah met a similar fate to Israel's. And about 150 years after Israel's defeat, Judah was destroyed by the Babylonians. Jerusalem was laid waste along with most of its inhabitants, and those that remained were carried off to Babylon as exiles. But this exile was more than a spiritual timeout. They weren't just serving time for their sin. God had a purpose for their exile. And he would make that purpose known through the prophet Jeremiah. And when that purpose came to Jeremiah, he wrote it down in a letter and he sent it to the people in Babylon. And the contents of that letter would not only change the people of God, 
It would change the people of Babylon. What was in that letter that had such a profound impact? Let's read our text to find out. Again, Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasah, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Let's pray. Oh, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. Would you add to the the reading of this word a blessing upon blessing that your spirit would move and work in our hearts this day, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. In 1873, a Sunday school class from the First Presbyterian Church in Lynchburg got an idea. Actually, it was more than an idea. It was a mission. It was a calling. And this calling came at a time when this downtown church was enjoying unprecedented growth. The gospel was being preached faithfully and missionally and lives were being changed. This class felt particularly burdened by God to reach the lost souls of the Daniels Hill neighborhood. At the time, Daniels Hill was a mixed-income neighborhood, much like Rivermont, with large homes like Point of Honor, as well as small homes for factory workers. And so this Sunday school class began praying how they might reach this neighborhood. And as they prayed and served in that neighborhood, it became clear that a new church was ready to be birthed. And so in 1881, Rivermont Evangelical Presbyterian Church was born under the name Third Presbyterian Church at the corner of Cabell and G Street. That church family grew as men, women, and children responded to the work of Christ in their lives. And in 1897, they had outgrown their space and built a new building on Rivermont Avenue at the intersection with Cabell Street 
In doing so, they were expanding their reach from the Daniels Hill neighborhood into the newly formed Rivermont neighborhood. I don't know if you know this, but the Rivermont neighborhood was one of the first planned subdivisions in the whole country. There, this body continued ministering the gospel in word and deed to the neighborhood, even changing the name of the church to Rivermont Avenue Presbyterian Church, reflecting their new location and focus. And in God's providence, the church continued to prosper and grow. And another building was needed. And in 1925, the congregation moved west about a mile and built this current sanctuary under the leadership of Dr. Graham Gilmer. And while they dropped Avenue from the church name, they didn't drop their commitment to the neighborhood. Together, they labored to care for and to love this neighborhood with the gospel. Why? Because God had sent them here. He had sent them to the neighborhood to see the neighborhood flourish in Christ. Our text this morning shows us that God sent the exiles to Babylon for the same reason. Now, obviously, the circumstances were starkly different. This group of people didn't have a say in being relocated to Babylon. They were there against their will, but they were there. And they were there not because they had been taken by the Babylonians so much as they had been sent there by God. Yes, he had sent them into exile for their sin and rebellion, but it was not meant to be punitive. It wasn't meant to punish them. They weren't there to serve their time and be released back to Jerusalem. They were there for God to change their hearts. To turn them back towards Him. But they were also there for God to change the Babylonians through their life and witness. Now some of you have lived your whole life here in Lynchburg. In fact, some of you come from generations that predate even the founding of this church. Many of us, however, have moved here in the last 10 years or even 10 months. Whether you were born here or you moved here, Lynchburg is where God has placed you. It's where he has located you in his redemptive story. Likewise, the Rivermont neighborhood is where God has placed this church. It's where he's located us in his redemptive story. The question we must wrestle with is this. What does it mean for us to be in the Rivermont neighborhood and for the Rivermont neighborhood? I want us to look at three things from our text that will help us answer that question. And the first thing I want you to see is that to be a church that is in Rivermont and for Rivermont, we we must be a church that is present in the neighborhood. Well, what does a presence in the neighborhood look like? I think simply it looks like rootedness. Let's look back at the text and notice the command God gave in verses 5 and 6. God said to build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. What do each of these things have in common? Well, each of these commands is about putting down roots of being committed to a place and a people. But why would God have to tell them to build houses and plant gardens Wouldn't that have been an obvious thing to do? Well, not if you thought that you were only going to be there for a short time. You would actually live a very temporary existence. 
You see, if we flip back a chapter to chapter 28, verse 10, we read about a false prophet named Hananiah. He claimed to have received a prophecy from the Lord that the exile was only going to last two years. After that, God would break Nebuchadnezzar. They'd all move back to Jerusalem, establish the kingdom again, and get on with life. Now, for a people who were defeated, dislocated, and disheartened, that was a dangerous prophecy to believe. If they could just endure these two years of exile, then we could go back home and rebuild. And so they planned to hit the pause button on their lives and just wait it out. There's no need to build a house or plant a garden or start a family. We can do that when we get home. I can definitely understand that mentality. Moving to Mississippi after we closed our church plant in Missouri felt a little like going into exile. We didn't really want to be there. But it was our only option at that point. And even though I had grown up in Mississippi, it didn't feel like home anymore. And because of that, I didn't think that we'd be there all that long. So what did we do? Well, we rented an apartment instead of buying a house. We attended a church, but we didn't join. We were friendly to people, but we didn't make friends. We didn't do anything that would resemble putting roots down. Why? Well, because we knew that we would have to pull them back up again and it would hurt. It was a kind of self-protection. Why put yourself through that pain? And so we, we played it safe and hit the pause button on our life. Now, in God's providence, it was only six months until he called me to be one of your pastors, which I'm eternally grateful for. But what if it had been longer? What if we had kept our life on pause? I shudder to think what we might have missed out on. By telling the people to build houses, to plant gardens, and to start families, God was calling the people to take their life off pause. To trust in Him and His plan for their life. Hananiah doesn't know the plans I have for your life. Verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. I wonder if some of you have hit the pause button in your life as well. You find it difficult to be present to people or to the church or to any neighborhood, much less this one. You've been there. You've done that. Maybe you've even gotten hurt. And there's no use opening yourself up again. You're kind of living a self-imposed exile. I get it. It's a safe thing to do. But I wonder if in the midst of your exile, God might be speaking to you, inviting you into what he's building, inviting you into what he's planting, inviting you into a family that he's growing, calling you into his plan of flourishing this church and this neighborhood. What might that look like? Well, when Denise and I were church planning in Missouri, one of our outreach strategies was Ministries of presence, although we weren't smart enough to call it that. But that's essentially what we were doing. And we were simply trying to be where the people were that we could build gospel relationships with them. And one of the places that was easiest to meet people was our city park. As a, there were lots of moms there with kids playing on the playground. And as a young mom herself, Denise was looking for friends and connections. And what she found was that the other moms were looking for the same thing. 
And it didn't take long for her to begin making real connections with those women. And as she did that, she found that it provided opportunities for real friendship and also gospel sharing as well. And that all happened because she was regular, intentional about being present in that playground. Now, Eric has already said, Rivermont has just such a gathering space in Riverside Park. This park is a place where our neighbors gather frequently. They gather to walk and hike, to play basketball and pickleball, to picnic and have birthday parties, to play on the splash pad in the playground. It's an incredible opportunity to, to build gospel relationships with our neighbors, to be present with them in what we would call like a neutral space. Another gathering place in our neighborhood is Golf, car, uh, golf Park Coffee, which is around the corner. I intentionally try and hold as many meetings as possible at Golf Park, not because I love their coffee so much, which I do, but I want to have a felt presence in this place. The, the more I'm there, the more opportunities I have to get to know the baristas and even the customers. I've even had an opportunity to share our vision of being in Rivermont and for Rivermont with the manager of Golf Park. I think that's what a ministry of presence looks like. It's being in this neighborhood and consistently and intentionally being rooted here. So, to be a church that's in Rivermont and for Rivermont, we must be a church that is present in this neighborhood. But secondly, we must also be a church that pursues peace or flourishing in the neighborhood. Now, it's hard to fathom the depth of loss these Judeans had experienced at the hands of the Babylonians. Their city, Jerusalem, utterly destroyed. Solomon's glorious temple reduced to rubble. The walls of the fortified city knocked down, not to mention the massive loss of life. And now they're forced to live in Babylon, a pagan land, as trophies of war. Given that, can you imagine how they must have responded to verse 7 of Jeremiah's letter? Look there. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. I have to believe they must have had some kind of visceral reaction. Anger, disbelief, maybe fists in the air, fire in their eyes. How could God ask them such a thing? Seek the welfare of the city that just wiped out our city? This seems like an outrageous thing to ask of the people. But God often asks us to do things that we don't understand Because He wants to do things that we can't understand. They wanted to be in Babylon. If we're going to have to be in Babylon, let's be in Babylon. But we're going to be for ourselves. But God is saying, I want you to be in Babylon and for Babylon. In the church, we can develop a similar kind of mentality. We can view the world around us as being against us, as being our enemy. And if we're honest, we'd, we'd like to interpret the motto in Rivermont for Rivermont to mean in Rivermont Church, for Rivermont Church. That we exist together as a church only for the benefit of this church body. After all, we're supposed to be in 
the world, but not of the world, right? Yes, we are not to be of the world, but make no mistake, we are to be for the world. We must be for the Rivermont neighborhood. After all, Jesus says in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that He gave us His only begotten Son. God was for the world and He showed it by giving His one and only Son to bring an end to death and bring life to the world. So what does God mean when He says to seek the welfare of the city? Well, the Hebrew word for welfare here is the familiar word shalom, which many of our children who went through the Jerusalem marketplace love to say. My kids, I asked them what that means, and they were quick to say hello and goodbye. And one said peace. I was like, the second one is right. It does mean peace, but in its fullest sense, shalom means universal flourishing in every aspect of life. It is economic flourishing, relational flourishing, and certainly spiritual flourishing. And so as we think about the Rivermont neighborhood, how would God use us to bring shalom? Where does our neighborhood need to flourish? Well, rather than guess or presume what that might be, the members of our vision committee of the session, we set up interviews with our neighbors to ask that very question. We interviewed store owners, nonprofit directors, school principals, pastors, and residents. We asked them what our uh, neighborhood needed to flourish. And through these interviews, we began to see opportunities for flourishing. Then we invited you all to fill out a ministry survey that included a section for you to share your interest and your skills. And over a hundred of you filled out those surveys, which are so thankful. And you indicated the things that you love to do, you have skills and experiences and passions for. And from that survey, we begin reaching out to you with ideas for ministries of flourishing and presence in the park, particularly. And you responded. We now have some members who've started a pickleball ministry at the courts in the park. Some other members love reading stories to children and have started a story time in the park. We've even had some members who've come to us with their own ideas for a ministry of presence, which we love. And so some members are going to start a basketball ministry in the park. Another's going to start a macrame class here at the church, while another's going to offer a painting class here at the church. We've even got a group of folks who are going to start a random act of kindness ministry in the park. They're just going to drop by the park one day and they're going to bless who's ever in the park with a seasonal goodie or some fun experience. As we begin to interact with these neighbors, we begin to know them. Opportunities to express and share the love of Christ will abound. This is just a small a sample of what is happening and can happen to bring flourishing to our neighborhood. Now you can learn more about these opportunities at an upcoming ministry fair starting next Sunday before and after Sunday school. Uh, it'll be in the Cheatham Center. Now these folks who'll be there will be leading some of these initiatives and they'll be on hand to help you either sign up for their ministry of presence or maybe help you think of your own ministry of presence. Lord willing, this fair, we're going to run it through the month of July. So to be in Rivermont and for Rivermont, we must be a church that is present in the neighborhood. 
that is pursuing the peace or the flourishing of the neighborhood. And finally, a church that is praying for the neighborhood. Do you know what happens when you pray for someone? I know you do. You naturally care more about them, don't you? You want God's best for their lives. And so you pray to that end frequently, fervently. The truth is these ministries of presence will only go so far. They will only be successful as we pray for those who will receive those ministries. The flourishing that the people of God would engage the Babylonians with was doomed to fail without prayer. Why? Because only God can change a person's heart. Only God can take one who is dead in their sin and make them alive in Christ. Only God can do that. Let me read verse 7 again. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Jeremiah is saying that you must pray for God to flourish this city and then you must go and be God's answer for the city to flourish. You see, when we start praying for our neighborhood, when we start praying for our neighbors, We don't just pray thinking, well, now the job's done. I prayed. I'm good. No, we pray knowing that we will likely be God's answer to that prayer for flourishing. Do you want Rivermont to grow spiritually and flourish as a church? Then we must go and flourish our neighborhood. Do you, do you want to spiritually grow and flourish as Christ's disciples? then you must go and flourish the neighborhood. You see, our flourishing is tied to their flourishing. Our joy is tied to their joy. One of the joys of getting married was sharing our music collections. Uh, There was a particular music duo that were classmates of Denise's at Wheaton College. Their names were Jason Herod and Brian Funk, and they formed the group Herod and Funk. Kind of sounds like a British retail store, doesn't it? Well, Denise was a huge fan and had a couple of their CDs. And I have to say, one of the things that intrigued me was that these guys mostly got their music out by playing in subway stations in Boston. I thought that that was pretty amazing. And as soon as I listened to their music, I was instantly hooked. They wrote smart lyrics and they paired it with really rhythmic folk style music. And so as we listened to their music together, Denise's joy in that group multiplied because of my joy in that group. It was as if it was completed through my enjoyment. Her joy was made full. It was made whole. Paul used similar language in his letter to the Philippians when he told them, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy... By being of the same mind, having the same law, being in full accord and of one mind. That's what happens when we work to see others flourish. Our joy in the Lord is made complete. And prayer accomplishes that joy-completing work. We are just a few years away from celebrating our 100th year at 2424 Rivermont Avenue. I wonder what our church will look like 
But more than that, I wonder what our neighborhood will look like. What evidence will we see of God's flourishing activity through this church? What kind of presence will we have in our neighborhood? Will we be the neighbor that our neighborhood could just do without? Or will we be the neighbor that they can't do without? I'm really encouraged by what I've already seen begin to happen. God is at work in us. Let's pray that God will continue to flourish us as we flourish and pray for the neighborhood that we might be in Rivermont for Rivermont. Let's pray. Oh God, that is my prayer that we might be in this church, in this neighborhood for the neighborhood and that it would show up in the ways that we love and care and are intentionally present with our neighbors where they are. Lord, I pray for the leadership of this church as we seek to discern how we might go about doing that. Lord, would you use the coming sermons on these different areas of our life that we might see how we uh, might uh, see our life as it intersects with your mission, as we seek to follow where you lead us. Give us courage. Give us boldness. Give us hearts that are tender towards you and that are willing to pray frequently and fervently for our neighbors. We pray in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.